Have you heard, Reed, that Taco Bell is in court trying to fight Taco John's over the trademark that they have of the term Taco Tuesday? I haven't heard this. I don't even know what Taco John's is. <laughs> well, Taco John's is a Mexican chain. Actually founded here in the Midwest. Okay. They're very famous for their potato olays, which is basically tater tots with a Mexican seasoning on them. All right. Long ago, they actually bought the trademark for the term Taco Tuesday. I guess the argument that Taco Bell is bringing up in court is whether the term Taco Tuesday over the years has come to what they call genericide, where a term or a word or a phrase becomes so widely used that it's just no longer associated with a trademark holder. Think like Xerox or Q-tip. Kleenex. Kleenex, right. Exactly. So I can't trademark boil the ocean? Or grease the skids. Welcome to Touchpoint, a podcast dedicated to discussions on digital marketing and patient engagement strategies for hospitals, health systems, and physician practices. In this podcast, we'll dive deep into digital tools, solutions, and strategies that are impacting our industry today. We hope to share a lot of great information with you and have fun along the way. Thanks for joining us. Now, here are your hosts. Welcome to Touchpoint. Welcome to episode number 332. I'm Reed Smith. That's Chris Boyer. Hey, uh, don't mind me. I'm just finishing up my tacos here because to me, every day is taco day, not just Tuesdays. <laughs> every day? I mean, why not? I guess. I think I think tacos are the most perfect food, Reed. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't disagree necessarily. <laughs> um, it's, uh, yeah, it's good stuff. Well, welcome one and all. Thanks for joining us for another week, another episode of Touchpoint. Good episode today. Something a little bit different. I, we've talked about this some relative to data and all the privacy stuff certainly feeds into this. But before we get to that, a uh, quick plug for the website, touchpoint.health. Touchpoint.health is where you can go to subscribe, to learn more about the show, look at historical episodes and topics that we've covered. While you're there, you'll know something called the TPS report up in the top navigation name, email address, all we're asking for, and you'll get an email roughly every Monday with five articles to start your week. And we just hope it's a little value add for you, the listener. And so we'll pause here, pause for just a second, let you go do that. And we'll be back with today's show. Chris, in today's digital age, your online reputation, as we all know, is crucial. With customers relying on online reviews, your first impression is also compared directly with your competitors. Sure is. And Reed, consider this. 86% of patients today read online reviews and 73% demand that that healthcare provider has a minimum four-star rating. Demand. They demand it. Yeah, they do. Well, to stand out, choose reputation to help amplify your brand and to build trust. Be the provider of choice in your area, understand patient sentiment, get actionable insights, and even foster patient loyalty. And look, here's the easy way you could do that. All you need to do is go visit reputation.com slash touchpoint. That's reputation.com slash touchpoint, where you can download their healthcare online reputation management guide and build a reputation that performs for you.
So, Chris, I, you know, we've had some uh, episodes here recently. I mean, we have a lot of episodes talking about analytics and data mm-hmm. and ROI and you know those types of topics. But we had an episode not too long ago, you know, relative to the OCR's findings, if you will. And I guess that was last fall that, that some of that started coming out. But anyway, talking about the Pixel and then Google and, and all of these things, right? Uh, you know, the commonality there, I guess, is that in, in uh, all of these cases, we're talking about, you know, a third party, right? Because we talked about, you know, well, you got to have somebody that will sign a BAA and right. you know, th- those types of scenarios. And so this is really about third parties. And today we're going to talk about first party. First party, yes, the the probably the most important thing. And you and I have addressed first party kind of peripherally when we've talked about analytics and we've talked about even social media uh, a number of episodes ago. But yeah, first party data strategy, I think, is probably one of the most important things that we can really look at as an organization. And so today, let's jump in a little bit and start to uh, explore what first party data is how organizations can start to look at it and address that and maybe even get you know get get into what does that mean for us if we if we start to go down this path and we're going to start first with an article uh, that we found from a website called Vamo called first party data strategy trends and tips in 2023 and to kick it off what is first party data right so this is something that you specifically the organization collects directly from a consumer. So again, as we talked about like Google, well, that's Google collecting the information and then returning it to you, right? Through like reports and dashboards and, and, and things like that. So this would be actually a way that you collect the data. So, that, you know, certainly things that are in your CRM or uh, you may be collecting some information from your website or social media accounts or something like that, even though most commonly that probably came to a third party tool, Right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, other places you can collect this data is, you know, in your decision support systems or when people purchase from you, you know, like have an encounter with you, you can collect that. That's typically, again, pulled into the CRM. Also, emails, right? Uh, people that sign up for your emails. That's another place for it. But there's a couple of other areas I think that most organizations haven't really realized are first party data sources, right? Yeah. So, I, you know, I think patient portals, things like that, again, surveys. There's a lot of ways stuff comes in. It's kind of interesting to think about all the ways that you actually do collect information about people. Uh, Again, I know we've, we've kind of hyper-focused on this, you know, Google going away, so to speak. And again, that's a third party system, but they don't have the relationship, right? We have the relationship with the consumer, third party systems are kind of collecting on our behalf. And so, it's funny. I, I didn't think about decision support, uh, but that is that is interesting. And then certainly you think about like your contact centers, even physician sales and outreach. When you talk about like kind of a B two B function, right? And I, I think you could even extend it too. You know, and some organizations are a little tenuous about this, but you could extend it to your own employees too, right? How your employees interact with your organization. And so if you're taking a first party data strategy approach, it could impact multiple different audiences if you think about it. And every interaction that you have with those audiences where you are actually directly collecting information about them could be a potential source of your first party data. 
I think that as we we look at like the changes that are going on with Google, with Meta, with Apple, which are really under target right now, because people are starting to be aware that these are large companies that aggregate data about them and they syndicate that data and they sell that data and use it for advertising and things like that. This is why we see this rise of like GDPR or California's CCPA and, you know, these privacy things. The HSS OCR thing is a direct result of the fact that there's all this sensitivity around third-party organizations kind of trafficking in this data. Yeah. And so anyway, this has kind of been all over the place. I know we've you know mentioned and talked about Google a lot and even on this episode, but to your point, there's been, you know, outside the United States, you mentioned GDPR. This has existed for some time or longer than it has here to some extent. I know, you know, it, it's hard to, you know, you download an app on your phone, an iOS at least, um, you know, you have to Know, allow or disallow, you know, tracking and, um, you know, those types of things. And so again, you know, Apple, for example, um, has been one that's been pressured uh, a few years ago to address, you know, privacy. So this is, this is not necessarily new. It's just new as it relates to like our day-to-day as marketers and health systems. And Apple and Google, even for like Android devices, we, you know, they're trying to allow people to kind of control tracking through third-party apps and other things like that. Quite honestly, when you look at Google, because they're so, they're just all over the place, right? They're, they're, they're embedded in everything we do. They even, in response to uh, the OCR guidance, has indicated, right, don't use our web tracking software in many cases because we cannot guarantee that we won't be using that data. You know, right. and and so you know they they pretty much have resigned to the fact, and I think Meta hasn't has also resigned themselves to the fact that says, yeah, we're data collectors. That's what we do. That's how we create our products. That's that's how we we make money. So what we have to as organizations, what we have to do is find ways to address this trend, and that really brings up the whole fact about first party data and leveraging first party data in the right way. Well, they say in this article, I, we'll, we'll go through some tips and, you know, kind of what that means to leverage first party data. But I think one call out in here is that, you know, the solution, they say the solution is not to find ways to circumvent, uh, but, you know, to forge a more honest, meaningful relationship and, and look at what is your first party strategy. So the first step, they say, is to get your data in order. So that's pretty easy. Right. Uh, <laughs> just uh, just clean all that up real quick, and then you're on to the next step. Drop it all into Excel, run a deduping macro, and you're you're set to go. <laughs> yeah. 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 A lot of people, because it is really hard, I think. Do they talk about people skipping this step? Well, I think they're skipping it because um, it's like, whew, okay, well, I'm that's not mine. I'm that's not my problem. That's not my department. Whatever. So um, I'm gonna let somebody else fool with that. Here is where, you know, they they kind of raise this concept of a consumer data platform or a CDP. CDPs are designed to actually aggregate and standardize data across multiple different um, inputs, so to speak. CDPs are also sometimes reflected or referred to as a centralized data lake. The whole point here is where you create a universal user IDs 
to be able to understand and dedupe, so to speak, like all of your different customer touch points and try to align them into a, a consistent way where you can start to interpret that data and you can start to track where they've touched base with you, right? Like if they've gone through the patient portal and then gone to your website. I mean, these are some powerful things to do. And the only reason why we see this advent of CDPs and, uh, is because we're now in the world of machine learning and AI. Ten years right. ago, we wouldn't have that. You know, so one of the first things they do say is, is start to look at this and start to real understand your data and try to aggregate that together. Now, that's a big step in one direction. And I, I, I think that some organizations are kind of making tenuous steps into it. If you can standardize your data, that's going to be your, your, your holy grail. But there are other ways and other tips that this article outlines to help you uh, start to move down this first-party data path. Yeah, so, I mean, before we start throwing people in the top of the funnel um, and, you, and you have cleaned up your data, is to looking at the funnel itself and optimizing all those parts and pieces. You know, get closest to the, to the, the termination point, kind of the bottom of the funnel, if you will. And then start working your way up is what they claim uh, or what they kind of suggest, I guess. So as you're moving people through the funnel, you really understand what that journey looks like. I was at a conference this week and somebody was talking about journey mapping and they they talked about it as you know going frame by frame, you know, through the consumer journey. I thought that was a kind of an interesting way to visualize it. But yeah, I mean, really understanding the journey. So once you have the the data cleaned up, you, you understand what the journey and kind of the, the, the funnel looks like, then you can start, you know, acquiring or kind of throwing people into the top of the funnel. They outline four tips here, and we'll just quickly kind of go through them. The first is focusing on SEO and not paid for quality data. There is a tremendous value in having your website optimized from a technical perspective, but technical SEO can only help a site improve the visibility it already has. SEO becomes even more critical than paid advertising because it naturally attracts people to your site and you're actually getting quality users to your website because they're actually looking for that information on your site. So the next thing they talk about is, is actually building trust. You know, first party data is unique to your business and you know, obviously you have to have consent and some of these types of things, but you're capturing information from apps and portals and websites and even responses to, you know, marketing initiatives like email or text messages or, or what have you. And so they say to take a transparent step-by-step approach. Now they use some terms in here that it still sounds creepy, like progressive profiling. <laughs> but in any case, the point being is like, hey, build this over time, you know, and, and customize and personalize your marketing efforts over time. Uh, again, building trust with the consumers that continue to engage and interact with you. Um, I think personalization is great, but it's got to make, make sense. And you got to try to avoid the creepiness factor as best you can, at least. Absolutely. And personalization is the other tip that they outline here. They actually highlight a stat, 90% of consumers in the U.S., Switch brands and retail or retailers because of the non-personal connection that they have. And in healthcare, arguably, we have one of the most personal relationships with our patients and our employees. By switching into personalization, it gives you the ability to capture live insights and translate them into ways that you can communicate to them better. And we're talking about more than just saying, you know, putting their name in the subject line of an email. It's really understanding what their preferences are 
and really understanding how they want to engage with you and where they want to engage with you so that you can actually message to them in the right way about the right things. And then that leads to the final tip, Reed, which is? Well, to leverage the technology, right? So uh, the MarTech stack, again, I know that's a lot for us. Uh, there's a lot of parts and pieces there, but how not only are you measuring or creating analytics, but how are you, you know, showcasing some level of attribution and using those insights to really better the process for the consumer, or for the patient? It kind of builds off the idea of personalization, right? But really having some technology to fuel these these efforts. Yeah, and I think the concept of a MarTech stack is now becoming an, a, a business stack, so to speak, right? Using the tools in your MarTech stack across operations, across clinical, that's really the, the, the trick to the future. So, Reed, why don't we do this? Why don't we take a break here? And when we come back, we'll talk about the value of data, first-party data strategies in healthcare specifically. We'll do that right after this pause. Coming soon from Greystone, Bowstring, and Touchpoint Media, live from HCIC, a new podcast that brings you front row access to the latest innovative strategies that are shaping tomorrow's healthcare industry. In this 12-part series, as recorded live at the Healthcare Internet Conference, we'll hear from industry experts such as Paul Matson of the Cleveland Clinic, Kathy Smith of Roper St. Francis Healthcare, David Feinberg from Mount Sinai Health System, Rose Glenn from Michigan Medicine, and many others. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or your favorite podcasting platform. This podcast series is brought to you by Greystone.net, Bowstring, and Touchpoint Media. Before the break, we were talking about generally first-party data strategies and some of the tips that they were uh, they were outlining for uh, organizations that are starting to go down this path. Let's now focus a little bit on our industry and talk about how first-party data can work in our industry in healthcare. And we found an article on Medium called "The Value of First-Party Data in Communicating with Patients," and we thought this kind of outlines really really good ideas and suggestions as how do we approach this in our unique industry. This article, The Value of First-Party Data in Communicating with Patients um, from the folks over at Cured, really talk about the fact that for decades, uh, you know, healthcare systems or hospitals have relied heavily on third-party data sets to target consumers. And and we've talked a lot about that, right? And, And because really what we were doing was all acquisition work, it was advertising, so you were using kind of the Google ecosystem or maybe social media, things like that to run ads, right? I mean, that's really how we were targeting. There was some CRM outreach in there. I'm not saying there wasn't, but I think that's um, that's really where we found ourselves. But in recent years, marketing automation kind of became a thing. CRM kind of became a, a thing, but it's you know further kind of allowed us to leverage some of this third-party data you know, for targeting. I mean, that's really how we targeted folks. And again, with this rise of technology, marketing automation, um, CDPs, data lakes, data warehouses, and machine learning AIs, giving us the ability to start to take a more sophisticated approach. And this coincides nicely with the fact that 
consumers becoming more savvy and more privacy aware are starting to realize that third-party data collection is not something that they want to do. Many people are opting out of those, uh, uh, the ability to be tracked. I know that with, with my iPhone, whenever it asks me, allow this app to track me, I always say, no, I just don't want that. I'm starting to be painfully aware that everybody's tracking you online. Now, uh, you know, whether or not we can get out of tracking you online is a whole different story. But, you know, in the very least, taking more control of that. It also alludes to the fact, this article alludes to the fact that health systems are now really becoming acutely aware of how they're tracking, or maybe they're even evaluating it for the first time, how they're collecting data from their patients and how they use it to communicate and interact with their patients. I don't know about you, Reed, but you know, four or five years ago, this wasn't really something that was top of mind. Now it's starting to become everything that we're talking about in our space, right? Yeah, because I mean, I think we have to, right? I mean, this, this idea, the way we're kind of thinking about the world where I am is through the lens of you know, leakage recapture, reactivating patients and acquiring new patients. Now we've historically predominantly as an industry focused on the acquiring new patients part of the equation because we didn't really have a way to reactivate, to your point, really have a way to reactivate um, or reduce leakage or whatever. Well, now we can play in all these places because of first-party data, predominantly the EHR, right? Yeah, predominantly the EHR. That is the the huge thing here. So this uh, author of this uh, Medium post, he, he actually indicates that there is a f- sometimes a, a, a challenge where organizations that are starting to go down this path underestimate the value of their first-party data. Now, think about those big brands that we kind of refer to in the digital space, and we, we kind of admire, right? Amazon, um, even Google to a certain extent, right? They fiercely, as the article says, fiercely covet strong customer relations and protect them with the tenacity, this is a quote, tenacity for good reason. It's all about customer acquisition and lifetime value. This is a big thing. And in healthcare, we're starting to realize that too. They actually quote Adrian Boise, who's the chief customer experience officer at Cleveland Clinic, who says it costs seven times more to bring a lapsed patient back into their health system versus retaining and building upon existing patient relationships. We're starting to realize that the first party data strategy in our industry is kind of critical moving forward. I love the fact that they refer to email as the uh, ever the bridesmaid and never the bride. <laughs> I do, you know, just to loop back for a second. I mean, everybody's heard every stat, you know, and heard all these things about, you know, acquiring a new customer is more expensive than retaining ones you have, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So again, yeah, I, you know, they're talking here about email specifically uh, being one of the most effective digital channels. Cheap, effective, you know, et cetera. There's lots of things here. And I think it's just not a one size fits all where I think you've got to look and stratify these consumers in different buckets and understand how we reach out to them. And I don't mean by age and gender and that kind of thing. Again, if you've got EHR data that allows you to reach out to the consumer, what do they do for? Um, how do they want to be communicated with, you know, those kind of consumer preference centers and things like that. And so there's just a kind of a different way to think about this. So email may be great, maybe text messages, it may be direct mail. Uh, we see these things, it's, you know, it's kind of a cyclical, I guess, ecosystem 
uh, where like one medium gets really, really noisy. And so you, you got to try to figure out how to stay ahead of that. And for some folks, it may be direct mail. Well, I think the big part here is understanding how the channels, the direct mail, email, whatever it might be, patient portal, really are being utilized by your customers. And again, this this is really gives rise to this whole first-party data strategy because it's not about just standardizing all your customer data, all your patients and potential patients in the database. It's about also understanding how they interact with you. The article says here that understanding where patients are likely to lapse and where opportunities exist to influence their behavior towards better and more consistent care outcomes and how much more revenue can be expected to be generated over the course of the patient life cycle, all of that has to be calculated and measured in this new model. And first-party data is really the key to getting there. You, you can't do that on third-party data systems. You can't do that on free tools like Google Analytics and this and that, right? You have to build that sophisticated approach around first-party data. Yeah, totally. And and again, they call out a lot of things in here, some technical barriers, you know, integrating between platforms, you know, unfamiliarity with, with uh, EMR data structures by the marketing department, silos between different parts of the organization like IT and marketing, et cetera. I, again, we don't need to belabor those points. I think they're pretty, pretty um, apparent. A lot of it is what, what I just mentioned a second ago, which is, you know, they're talking here about the primary value in using first-party data is understanding gaps in care, where we can re-engage folks, bring them back in. I mean, this is real revenue that we can actually attach our efforts to. I think that's what's interesting, uh, right? It's not just this idea of growth um, and just, you know, more like from a volume perspective, Right. Yeah, back to that earlier article that we, t- we referred to, right? Start at the bottom of the funnel and move up. And the bottom of the funnel is re-engagement. It is loyalty. It's building that lifetime value of a customer. And again, the tools that we have in our toolkit today are not going to get us there for tomorrow unless you're one of those few organizations that have already invested in a consumer data platform. Because consumer data platforms really allow you to build identity management and, and 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 a term that you recently heard read called identity-based engagement. And so why don't we do this? We'll take a pause here and we'll come back and we'll talk a little bit about how the modern CDP or consumer data platform can get us down this path of identity-based engagement. We'll do that right after this pause. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. All right, Chris, so to round out the episode, we're going to talk about a CDP. But before I get to that, uh, I've mentioned it, you mentioned it right before the the pause, but Sarah Vaizzi from from Providence, uh, I heard speak uh, here recently, and she used the term, and then I told her I was going to steal it and start using it, but (laughs) um, identity-based engagement. Some of that's really straightforward, Again, right? I mean, okay, the person's been in in the last year, I can see that here in the EHR. I know who they are. 
I know what they need, don't need, what they're eligible for, you know, et cetera, right? So for, from an identity standpoint, I already know them. And so that's kind of the idea. You know, how do you extrapolate that out across retention, um, acquisition, uh, et cetera? Well, a CDP actually allows us to start building identity and kind of that longitudinal record of a consumer. And so knowing who comes to your website, for example, versus just knowing somebody came to your website. Right. So let's talk a little bit about the role of identity in a modern CDP. And um, we found another article that gives us framework. And by the way, all these articles are linked to in the show notes. So be sure to click through if you want to go a little bit deeper dive. This is also published on Medium. It's by a person that's from Snowflake, which is a CDP company. So uh, mm-hmm. there's a little bit of bias here, but still, I think there's some good points here. Uh, it outlines really three ways that a modern CDP can bring you down this path of identity-based engagement. And the first, they say, is identity enables cross-channel and cross-device profile unification. Think about it, Reed. How many different devices do we have? We have phones and iPads and uh, computers in various different ways. And by the way, there's also non-device specific ways that people can engage with you. Because of these multiple devices, using a CDP to identify and unify these profiles allows us to get a better picture of the consumer journey. Let's say, you know, um, in the olden days, you used to be able to target by maybe an IP address or maybe by, you know, like a particular authenticated page, so to speak. Identity can unify all these different profiles at a much deeper level, more profound level. And it can start to align online and offline channels. So you could actually start to track more accurately where consumers are connecting with you on different touch points in their customer journey. I mean, we talked about a lot of those touch points, right? I mean, I think we keep talking about the website, but we mentioned, you know, some of those outreach marketing efforts like email, for example, or even direct mail. I think we even think about this as just digital typically. But I mean, it includes these other pieces that we that we reach out around. Wouldn't you say? Yeah, absolutely. It's just such an interesting concept to me. It's exciting, right? It's the maturity of kind of what we've done as an organization or even as a department of how we're engaging our communities. Like, I think we finally get to play a role where it's like, you know, we are becoming healthcare providers. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, it's just a, it's an interesting spot to be where we really have an opportunity to change the way that we're viewed within the organization even. And we're moving past the concept of just marketing as advertising now. We're moving into marketing as being the understanding of that consumer, having that knowledge of the consumer. I mean, marketing is marketing. So again, I think topic for a different day, but we probably need to do a show around just taxonomy and lingo and how we re-educate the organization about what it is that we do. But anyway... That's a, that's a complete aside here. So, yeah. So uh, you mentioned, you know, the identity that enables that cross channel, cross device, you know, profile unification, but it also increases match rates with paid channels. This is where we've lost the battle to some extent historically was, you know, we didn't have any trouble driving people to the website, right? Like activity metrics, impressions, reach, et cetera. 
but it's like, so what? Right. What does that even mean? Like, who cares? Like, I don't care how many people visit the website, you know, kind of a thing. Right. How you then reconcile that traffic, those individuals, those sessions, whatever, however you want to frame that with somebody. Like, who is it? Right. And so that's where this comes into play. I mean, and think about that, right? Moving from that unidentified person who responds to your ad and clicks through to fill out a form, and maybe then you get a little bit of information about them, right? To moving into understanding where that, who that person is and how they're engaging with. Well, I know that there's a sensitivity around privacy, but the whole point here is that by doing so, we can actually communicate with them more effectively. And uh, you and I have talked often, Reed, about this trade-off of like, I'm willing to give up more information about myself if you can communicate with me in a more personal level. This gives mm-hmm. us that ability to do that, right? Um, if someone comes to your website and looks for, let's say, joint replacement surgery and comes back three or four times and maybe even then looks for a physician, you know, that's an orthopedic physician, that to me has a good, that using progressive profiling using identity management, it allows us to then say, hey, maybe this person is interested in making an appointment with an orthopedic surgeon or, or, you know, an orthopod. And so the next time they come back to your website, you could present to them an opportunity to take that action more clearer than it is on a normal website. That's kind of the future that we're going towards. So do we hire a director of progressive profiling? Is that what we're I'm the progressive profiling coordinator. I don't know. Um, But yeah, I I think so. Yeah, I mean, that's exactly right, right? And so again, the the last thing that call out in here is that, you know, identity allows brands to expand pay channels to communicate with customers. So again, first-party data, you know, you can take this information back based on, you know, your agreement with the consumer, so to speak, and actually become more personalized in how you communicate with them uh, even through paid efforts. Again, from an advertising standpoint back in the day, it was one to everybody. Think outdoor billboards. Um, and again, they're just easy to pick on or a radio spot or something like that. Just one to everybody kind of thing. And then then we got a little more precise and it was kind of like a one to many kind of a thing, right? And that was like some of the paid advertising, digital advertising efforts. You know, it was somewhat you know, segmented based on like where you ran the ads, like what property it ran on or something. Then then we got more like one to few with some of our like email and CRM campaigns. And you know, we're getting down to to realistically, you know, one to one or one to a couple, you know, kind of messages. And that's really what this is allowing us to do. Yeah, but it totally shifts the whole perspective here, right? You the way you were describing it, marketing was coming from top of the funnel down. Mm-hmm. This is now we're starting at the bottom, moving up the funnel, Mm -hmm. right? And that's really what first-party data strategies allow us to do. Now, don't get us wrong. It's not easy. you got to have a lot of fortitude to get there. And you you do need to rely on, on technologies to do so, building your data lakes and working very closely with your IT teams and your operations teams to ensure that you're collecting all that data in a, in a certain way. But going down this path, is the right way. And that's why you and I really feel, Reed, that developing a first-party data strategy is one of the first things you need to do in this day and age as, uh, you know, in our organization. 
I think so. <clears throat> I mean, even if you can't solve for everything, you don't have all the technology, the organization's not bought in, I don't know, whatever roadblocks you may have, still got to start planning this out because you're not going to have a choice at some point. So it's like, how do you get out in front of this? Because the expectation is that you'll be there. Whether people are calling it this, organizations are going to get tired of this idea of advertising. I mean, the consumer already is. So get out in front of it. You know, start working with your clinical leaders around population health initiatives. I mean, that's a good place to start when you're looking at this. You think about annual wellness exams or child well visits or something. Uh, I mean, you don't have to hit home runs here. I mean, this is uh, just figure out somewhere to start. But I think looking at first party, quite honestly, the stuff that came out from the OCR and the fact that we, you know, quote unquote, can't use the free Google Analytics product is not really that big of a deal at this point to me. Like it's just forcing our hand and accelerating the timeline of what was already going to happen. Yeah, absolutely. Those words ring true, Reed. So true. And with that, why don't we uh, close out today's conversation? We'll take a brief pause here, Reed. And then you and I will be back to just uh, formally close out the show with a couple of recommendations. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the must not take yourself too seriously and 6-1 since that matters and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. All right, Chris, another good episode, another good show. Um, would love people's feedback on this, kind of where they are. I know we kind of uh, prompted this after the the Google OCR analytics episode a few few weeks back. But, you know, again, how's your thought process around this evolving? What are you thinking? Uh, we'd love to would love to know more. So reach out. Touchpoint.health is the website. Again, the TPS report gets you that email once a week, also on there list of upcoming conferences, uh, links to those. Be sure to check that out. And uh, maybe a couple recommendations before we get out of here. Uh, what do you got today? Okay, Reed, I'm going to recommend something that I got my wife for Mother's Day. It kind of combines a couple of things together. Lego. I love Legos. Oh, love it. Lego has come out with a, a series called the Lego Icon Set. What they did is it's basically Lego versions of flowers. So I thought I was going to get my wife some flowers for Mother's Day, but then why not get Lego flowers that never die, right? That can always be, right? And plus, I can build them, right? Because I love to build Legos. That's left over as a kid, and I'm going to teach my son that as he grows as well. I I was able to purchase the Lego Icons Wildflower Bouquet Set. It's uh, basically poppies, lavenders, a variety of different flowers. And when you build them, they're very intricate and small. It builds basically 16 different flowers for a, a bouquet. And it's really, really pretty. If you're following me on Instagram, you can find out I posted a picture of them. It took me a couple hours to put them together. Totally worth it, though, because afterwards, they really look lifelike. They look like flowers and very colorful. I'm telling you, I am just amazed at how Lego can create these 
different sets, right, to create these lifelike flower sets. And they're not the only ones. They also have uh, another icon flower bouquet set uh, and then a bonsai tree set for adults. So they're really leaning in on creating a product extension in this particular case. We have them now in a vase. We're kind of displaying them proudly, and they're going to be there forevermore. So my recommendation is if you're into Legos and you really want to build something really pretty that could be around the house, look at the Lego Icons Wildflower Bouquet set. That's my recommendation this week. I like it. I am going to recommend uh, the Stanley Tumbler. No, I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> I feel like everybody's got one of these now. I feel left out. I mean, can I still carry a Yeti around? I'm not even sure if that's allowed. No. So I have uh, gone the opposite direction, Chris, and uh, simply drinking water out of a can. Oh, not out of an. Ev- so anyway, I've got. I've really, I'm really enjoying uh, Topo Chicos, which I've recommended before in the glass bottle, right? But if you can't do that or you can't find those, Perrier makes kind of the little skinny can, you know what I'm talking about? So oh, yeah. it's like not quite as much as like a normal canned drink. Uh, and I have found those to be uh, quite refreshing. As we were cleaning out the office, we're getting ready for an office move. Some of these surfaced. And uh, you know what? I, I like these. I may have to start uh, stocking up on, on Perrier. It's hard to beat. So a good, uh, good club soda, sparkling water. Uh, is my recommendation. You can put it in a Stanley if you want. Uh, <laughs> I don't really know much about it, but I don't think you need to. So there you go. That's a great recommendation. And I'm a big fan of, of water. I, I'm, I'm cognizant of the fact that there's a lot of like, you know, recycling that's involved when you buy cans and bottles, but still nothing beats a nice cold can of mm-hmm. sparkling water, particularly when you're on a road trip or you're, you're just on the move. So uh, good recommendation, Reed. Well, there you go, folks. Um, that's why you stay till the end. So, so I <laughs> recommend water. <laughs> Thanks, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for uh, spending some time with us. We certainly appreciate it. And it's uh, it's always nice to get notes and and comments about the show. It's uh, it's it's uh, very much appreciated. So, love any feedback you got. Uh, we always appreciate that. And uh, we'll be back certainly for another episode. But for Chris Boyer, I'm Reed Smith, and we'll see you next week. This has been a Touchpoint Media production. To learn more about this show and others like it, please visit us online at touchpoint.health.